If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 this morning. So we are continuing our study in the life of David and we obviously have been skipping a few parts and the last time we had David receiving the covenant from God and then he responds uh, by saying a, a prayer of, of receiving the covenant and now we find him skipping ahead a few chapters. Now he is now king and as he's king he is um, remembering the promise uh, that he had made to Jonathan. So before we get there, I want to tell you a story. It's a story of a, of a pastor who had a friend who opened up a shepherd's home and it was a home for those who had development uh, disabilities. And he did it, um, to minister, but the purpose of it was to have them come to a saving knowledge of the gospel. And so he opened it up and he was meeting with his pastor friend and he said, do you know what our biggest maintenance problem is at Shepherd's Home? And the pastor responded, I have no idea. And so he responded back and he said, the biggest problem we have at our facility is dirty windows. And so the pastor was a little bit taken back and he says, we have dirty windows because here's the reason why. Our kids press their hands and their faces against the windows because they're looking to the sky to see if today might be the day that Jesus returns. Is this the day that Jesus will return for them and take them to his home where they will be healed and complete? How dirty are your windows? Do you yearn to be with Christ? Do you yearn to have him affect every area of your life. We're going to talk about that this morning as we unpack this passage. So as before we go, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, this is your word, your good words to us. And so Father, I do pray that the Holy Spirit would fill this sanctuary to overflowing. Lord, truly give us ears to hear that we might be attentive, Lord, that we might not be distracted by people around us. We might not be distracted by things within this building, but Lord, that we would focus upon Jesus Christ as we hear him clearly in this message this morning. And Lord, as we are no longer distracted, Lord, then may you take what we hear and apply it to our hearts. Change us. Change us to look more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, than when we came in. And then, Lord, send us. Send us to change Brevard County with the gospel message. Lord, we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So as you have your Bibles open, we're going to look at a couple of things. The first thing we're going to look at is that there was a covenant that was remembered. So the covenant remembered is there's a covenant that God had made to David. Now there's two types of covenant. And you should ask the question, why do we have covenants at all? Well, we have covenants because Jeremiah 17.9 tells us very clearly that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So who can understand it? See, we are people who tend to lie. 
So we have to establish covenants where we promise to one another that we will not break our word. Because our yes is not yes and our no is not no. One of the things that really frustrated me was when, uh, the, you know, I bought my home in a time uh, right before the big bust. And so we lost all of this value in the home literally and seemingly overnight. And yet the banks had no problem telling me, hey, you got to keep paying your bills all the time that they were breaking their building covenants. They were getting out of their stuff, but were so telling everybody else, hey, hey, even though things are bad, keep up with the payments because you promised. So we have to establish covenants because we are a people who lie to one another. But God is the one who began to establish a covenant because God is the only one who doesn't lie. And so God establishes a covenant, first of all, with Abraham. And this is the Abraham covenant where it's actually the cutting of the pieces of animals. It's to berate a covenant, to cut a covenant. And it's where they take the animals and they cut the animals in half. And they put one part of the animal on one side and the other on the part. And they let the blood run down to the middle. And then the two parties would walk through it. And as they walk through it, they would say, if I break my part of the covenant, this is what should happen to me. I should be cut off. And so God establishes a covenant with Abraham and God walks through the covenant pieces and he says, I will forever be faithful. And then he looked at Abraham. He said, now it's your turn. And Abraham said, not going to do it. Now, at least that was smart of Abraham because Abraham knew he wasn't going to be able to fill the covenant. Ultimately, who is the one who walks through on our behalf? Jesus. When he shed his blood, he paid for our covenant relationship. So there's that aspect of the government, of the government, the covenant, but there's also the second aspect of the covenant, and this is the suzerain covenant. Now the suzerain covenant is where a master goes to a servant and he says to him, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is what God does for David. He makes a promise to David and he made this promise. You're going to have a great name. You're going to have a mighty land and you're going to have rest from your enemies. But then he goes a step further and he says, this kingdom will be established forever. Now that doesn't really make sense. Because it's kind of the now and the not yet kind of aspect of this covenant relationship. And so he says to him, not only will I make your name great, not only will I give you a promised land, not only will I give you rest from your enemies, but your kingdom will be established forever. And your death and sin and even time itself cannot stop someone from sitting on your throne. Now, ultimately, he's talking about Jesus Christ. And so what we find is in this covenant, there's a partial fulfillment. Because the reality is, one, David is now king. He is now sitting on his throne. And there is the opportunity where he has now conquered the lands that are surrounding. There is relative peace from his enemies. And because there's peace, he's moved from Hebron to Jerusalem. And he's established a kingdom city. And so there's a partial fulfillment of what God had said. And so what David does at this moment is he remembers the covenant that he made to David. I mean, that David made to Jonathan. He remembers that covenant. Now, this is pretty important because, again, there's 20 years of things that are going on. 
20 years that he's been running, he's been hiding. He's been in fear of his life. So for the last 20 years, he's been on the run. And now all of a sudden, he finds himself in a position of kingship. And it says that he remembers. And this remembers comes from the passage you'll see. 1 Samuel 20, verses 14 through 16. Listen, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord, that I might not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. For when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. Now, this is an amazing thing because what's happening is because David remembers... He remembers the covenant, but there's something special. And I don't know if you remember hearing it, and I've talked about it a little bit before, but there's a statement in there that says to love like the loyal love of the Lord. And I've told you this before. It's called hesed. It's a kindness. It's a loyal love that God gives because it cannot be broken. And he says, this is what Jonathan is asking for. He's saying, David, I don't want you to love like man loves. I want you to love the way that God loves us now that's very very different because here's the reality what did christ show to us jesus the king of kings and the lord of lords humbles himself and the greatest act of humility is when he's on his hands and his knees and he comes and he washes his stinky feet of his disciples And he says, you want to know what love is? You want to know what servanthood is? This is the way that you love one another. Not when things are easy, but when things are hard. When people are hard. When things are hard. When people stink. That's how you love the way that Christ loves. If you're waiting for an equality in regards to love with mankind, you will last a lifetime and not see it. God doesn't love equally. He gives us a proactive love. He says, as I love, now you love. And there are many illustrations throughout history. There's William Wilberforce who lost his health, who lost a lot of his wealth. He lost a lot of his friends to remove uh, the, 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 the scourge of slavery from over in Europe. He gave it all for Christ. Amy Carmichael, who was sick by all standards, was, was told that she couldn't go on the mission field and went to Japan for two years and had to come back because she was sick. Ended up going to India for 46 years. No furlough. Didn't come home. Had arthritis so bad that she was bedridden for months at a time. But she opens up an orphanage that takes in the, the children of the, the, the temple area who are going to be prostituted out. Puts herself online of going to prison. That's love. But it's not just out there. Let me tell you, and this is, I know this is um, sometimes a bad thing because we're not going to be able to name everybody, but there are heroes within here. We have George and Lynn Mills who open their home to 20 plus young professionals and feed them every Monday night. We have Dixie who writes letters and goes out to every thrift store to find things for every member of this church, it seems like. The Mickey and Diane Dansby who come up here and play. And I don't know if you see Mickey, but Mickey um, has a, a, his vision is messed up right now. So he has to figure out a way to get up here. And he does it week after week in between his cruises. But he still does it. 
We have Mr. Hurdle who goes out there. And if he ever wakes up during the sermon, we'll find out that he goes out and he mows the grass weekly. We have Brandon, and I can't believe I'm using Brandon as an example. But Brandon, who now works over in Orlando, comes back and plays drums and comes to Burker T. Washington community in his spare time as a young professional. Tammy Hunsuck, who goes out and takes people to lunch and just loves on them for no reason than to love on them. Scott, who takes off weeks of vacation from his job to come and be a part of uh, the Vacation Bible School. We have Bruce Gilliland who goes and makes food for Chris Patterson, even when there's no thanks. There's James who's done thousands of hours of getting our sound system ready here in the new building and the old building. You have Brad Wilson who comes on his morning off and he comes and he fixes anything that's in the building. You have Charlie who fixes every car for people in this congregation. And I can go on and on and on. You're the illustration. You're the church. And we are to love the way that Christ has loved us. Micah 6, 8 tells us this. Oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? It's to do justice. It's to love kindness. And it's to walk humbly with your God. See, I could spend hours to talk about what the officers have given to this church. How many hours they've given time, effort, money. But we don't have that kind of time. But thank your elders, thank your deacons, thank the people around you for doing ministry, for loving your children, for loving your parents. And then don't stop. Write the notes, text one another, invite one another over to your homes, break bread together, pray together, talk together, forgive, and then forget. But love the way that God loves you because of his covenant that he told us as he is faithful. Now go and be faithful. So we have that example that God has given to us in the covenant, but I want you to understand that who he gives it to is he gives it to an unworthy recipient. Now here we're talking about Mephibosheth. Now Mephibosheth one has some bad things that are going on. The first thing he has is he has family sins. Mephibosheth isn't in trouble because of David. Mephibosheth is in trouble because of his grandfather, Saul. Saul's the one who lost the kingdom. Saul's the one who committed sins against God. Remember, God told him, hey, I want you to obey me. I want you to listen to my word and do my word. And Saul said, eh, I'm taking it kind of as a suggestion. I'm going to do things my way in my time. And God says, I'm going to cut you off. And he removes the kingdom from Saul and then he gives it to David. And Saul is so enraged that for the next 20 years he tries to murder David. Murders him. Throws spears at him. He has assassinating squads going after him. He has a whole army at one point going after David. So all of this stuff Saul has done to his own family. And now that we find ourselves in this portion of the scripture, Saul and his sons are now dead. So what's the customary thing? Impending justice. What do I mean by that? It's time to clean house. If you're the new king, 
You take out any rivals in his extended family and his friends. You don't want anyone rising up. So it is customary during this time period, and we see it even throughout our history where there are kingships, people are taking out their own family members for power. But it's not unheard of for people to go and clean house of every enemy that was ever a part of who you were. We know this to even be true because if you look at the passage about Mephibosheth, it says this, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. How did he become crippled? Well, here it tells us. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And then his nurse took him up and she fled. And as she fled, in her haste, Mephibosheth fell and that's how he became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So he wasn't born this way. Because of the reality of the situation, because his family's no longer in power, the nurse says, we got to get out of here, gets him up, tries to run away, leaves the area, and during the time period, he falls, we don't know, maybe breaks both of his feet, breaks his ankles, something, but he now becomes lame in both feet. So all of this has happened because the king is no longer there, that's his family. And now what happens is David now inquires. Is that that, that Saul's family has been so decimated, he inquires. Is there anyone still left? Is there anyone still left of Saul's family? And so Ziba says, yeah, there's one, and his name is Mephibosheth. Now I want you to understand in verse 8 that Mephibosheth calls himself, he calls himself a dead dog. Now I want you to understand, this is like saying, um, I'm roadkill. It's personal contempt, okay? He's looking at himself and he says, listen, for all intents and purposes, he's lost everything, hasn't he? I mean, he's lost everything. He has lost his health. He's lame. He's no longer able to go out and make a living. He has to beg. He has to be taken care of. He's lost all of his extended family who's been killed during the war. And he's lost all privilege, He's no longer in the palace. He's no longer in private land. He is at a place called Lodebar. And you know what that means? Not a plain. It's a wasteland. He's in a nowhere place going nowhere. He has, in all intents and purposes, lost everything. And so what he does is he, as he has this loss of everything, not only that, but there's also a fearful summons. So he's lost everything in his life, but now it gets worse because now the king asks him to come to the palace. Now, what do you think is going to happen? So here comes Mephibosheth, this lame person who's of the tribe of Saul. His grandfather tried to kill the sitting king and now he's in power and he's summoned to come before him. And so he's on his face and he's awaiting, listen, his sentence of death. Now I want you to apply this to yourself. We are undone before God. If God was to treat us justly, we all deserve hell. 
And so as we come before God, the expectation should be that of depart from me. I never knew you. You're nothing more than, listen, a dead dog. So that's what Mephibosheth is walking into. That's what he's thinking. But here's how God takes that which we deserve and he turns it into something of mercy and grace. He gives to Mephibosheth and it ultimately gives to us extravagant love. And he gives extravagant love from this perspective. One, he gives him protection. And I want you to see this. First of all, it's the king who sought out Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth doesn't want to have anything to do with the king. He's run away. He's trying to get as far from the king as possible. It's the king who seeks out Mephibosheth. Just like it's God who seeks out you. This is the only religion where we don't have to go to God. We don't have to go to Mecca. We don't have to bow down to him. He came to us. You should be blown away by that. Think about what God, if I was God, you all would be groveling before me. Florida State would win every week. I would have the best of the best because you got to make sure I'm not ticked off. And our God says, I'm coming to give life and to humble myself so that you might have life. He comes. And then the next thing that he does for Mephibosheth, listen, he calls him by name. He's not just, hey, you. He's not just dead dog. He's not traitorous family. The king, David, knows Mephibosheth by name. And he calls to him. And not only does our God come to us to save us, listen, he looks at you and he says to you and he calls you by name, Christine, I love you. Jan, I love you. Jeff, I love you. He knows your name. And he knows you so intimately that he knows the numbers of hair on your head. I love myself. I joke that I'm eye candy for you. You're blessed by man being up here. And I joke about that, but there is a reality that I do like myself. But not once have I ever counted the numbers of hair on my head. Not once. And God loves me so much that he knows everyone that falls out. He knows you by name. So the next thing he does is he tells Mephibosheth, fear not. Fear not. Mephibosheth, listen, you could die for who you are. But I'm going to show kindness to you. That's what Jesus says to us, fear not. You deserve hell, but I've taken hell for you and I've given you my righteousness so that you'll never experience 
the depths that Jesus Christ ever did. And so he protects Mephibosheth, but then the second thing he does for him is he adopts him. He adopts him. The first thing he says is, you're going to eat at the king's table. So do you understand that Mephibosheth is now back in the palace? And the man who's out in a wasteland, living in a borrowed friend's home, finds himself back in the palace, never to be in want again. Now that would have been good enough, but listen, David says, I'm going to adopt you as my own son, which means he gets to come into the private chambers with the other sons and daughters of the king. Do you get that? David is adopting Mephibosheth. And this is unheard of. His, I'm sure his counselors would have said, don't do that. David, you know what? How much We talk about family stuff in here. He's going to hear things. He's going to hear secrets. He's going to know things. And you know what? You're giving him all this stuff. He, he's going to start building an army. You don't bring your enemy into your home. And David says, he will always eat at my table. That's what Christ does for us. I've adopted you. You worthless, orphan, dead dog, sinner. Because I've given everything. And not only do I give everything, I'm going to give you everything. You're to become co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Because you are a son and a daughter of the king now. And then the last thing he does for Mephibosheth is he restores him. And how does he restore him? One, he gives him all the privilege back. He takes Ziba and he says, Ziba, that land that you were doing for King Saul and his extended family, you know what? It's all Mephibosheth's now. It's his land. You're his people. And you know what? All that money that you're going to make, it all goes to him. It's Mephibosheth's. He gets his whole life back. But I want you to understand, it's not just his own life. He's given far greater. Because he's not just given the lands of Saul back. He's given the adoption of the king. That's what Jesus Christ does for you and for me. Now, we might not have great homes, big cars, We might not see how our kingdom here is on earth. And again, as Americans, we know far better than the rest of the world. But we still complain. I get it. So do I. But to understand that for all eternity, Christ right now is building his kingdom for you to be there and to dwell with him forevermore. He's coming back, and I hope it's soon. Let me leave you with this. Titus 3, verses 3 through 6. He's talking about us. For we ourselves were once foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray. And so we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were passing our days in malice and envy. We were hated by others. And we were hating one another. 
but. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but he saves us according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, listen, richly, richly, through Jesus Christ our Savior. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? My prayer for you is that you hear the gospel message clearly this morning and then I beg of you dirty your windows dirty your windows in looking for the return of the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ Amen, Amen. Let's pray Heavenly Father we cannot even imagine what you have done for us. It is truly, as we have already sung, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now we see. Heavenly Father, thank you for your sacrifice. May we never take it for granted. And Lord, may we be like our brothers and sisters where we dirty our windows looking for the return and asking, is today the day that Jesus Christ comes back? And then Lord, give us many opportunities to go and tell our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, and our friends, this is what Jesus has done for me. He's taken undeserving recipients and given them extravagant love. What mercy and grace. So Lord, let us respond now. Respond by giving you all glory and honor that you are rightfully due. And we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.